When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge, now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz, on this edition of our show. Uh, we're going to break down the top 16 reveal that uh, the Men's Basketball Selection Committee put out on Saturday with Joel Lenardi, the original bracketologist, and Kevin Palga, who uh, works for the Big Ten among many conferences. His day job is he's Associate Athletic Director of Michigan State and also has the KPI, the Kevin Palga data metrics on all the rankings. That's all we're going to break down and see teams that should have been, maybe will be in at some point. I'm also be joined by one of the number one seeds based on the Men's Basketball Selection Committee. That is Ohio State and their head coach, Chris Holtman, as part of Cats Ranks. We'll look at the top 10 teams, I think, have a chance to crack that top 16. And then we'll get to my picks on the back end of the podcast. In terms of the top 16, pretty much agreed with all of it, uh, as you'll hear me in my conversation. I had USC in. Thought they could have been in leading the Pac-12 instead of Texas. I have no problem with that. But even since those were posted on Saturday, there's been some changes. Missouri lost. They probably would bounce out. Maybe USC would move up into it. Uh, you know, the team that I really would watch out, and you'll hear me talk about this, but it's Kansas. Look out for Kansas. They've won three in a row. We're quick to dismiss them, uh, which is really crazy that even that was a possibility. But they'll be in there in some form or fashion. So Baylor's on an extended pause. Coming back the following week, they're going to have some work to do to make up these games. They're not going to make them all up. They got to play West Virginia at least once because they're missing two West Virginia games. So they got to figure that out strategically. What games to make up? And the same thing is going to happen in the Big Ten. Michigan has to play Illinois. They missed that game this past week. I said this on the Big Ten Network. For Michigan, I would make sure that in order, I would have them play Illinois, Indiana, Michigan State, then at Penn State, and then at Northwestern. Of the five games, at that being sort of the order of the games, I think they have to make up because they're important. And that's three home games, by the way, too. So you would think that they would want to make them up. Uh, and also, it helps the other teams in the league if they play them. I know that's not their objective, but I think it would certainly help them. As for Baylor, they missed one Texas game. That has to be made up, in my opinion. The one West Virginia game that got canceled. Uh, that was supposed to be played this past week. Here's what I would do if I were Baylor in the Big 12. The at Oklahoma game, that's priority number one for me for them to make up because they already played Oklahoma at home, not fair at Oklahoma. So I would Oklahoma one. I'd have the second West Virginia game two because 
They're going to get West Virginia at home. West Virginia should have the right to play them on their court. So those are the top two I would do. Then you could debate Texas Tech or the first Texas game. You know, one of those two games, you could debate them making those up when they make them up. There is some open time. There's a Thursday, which, by the way, is now I'm looking as I'm talking to you here. That's they have already filled it with that second West Virginia game. So that's one of those dates that they have filled. Uh, So now Baylor's looking at coming back on Saturday, February 20th to play Oklahoma State, Tuesday the 23rd to play Iowa State, Thursday the 25th to play West Virginia, and then the 27th at Kansas. Then there's a whole nother week after that where they certainly could fill in some of these games before the Big 12 tournament starts. And that's the other thing, just before we get to our guests and breaking down the top 16. You know, we heard so much talk of the conference tournaments. February 26th is the deadline for the conferences to alert the Men's Basketball Selection Committee to tell them who gets the automatic qualifier. Is it your tournament champ or your regular season champ? And so if that's the case, I think we're going to only see one conference potentially waffle, and that's the WCC because Gonzaga's going to have to make a decision. What are they going to do? I just don't see any of these other leagues opting out of the conference tournament. I don't. All systems are go. We're getting emails about credentials, how they're going to be run, bubbles at every site. So I'm very confident that conference tournaments are going to happen in that first week, or I guess would be kind of the second week of March, uh, leading up into Selection Sunday, March 14th. Biggest question will be, does the WCC happen in Las Vegas? And if so, is Gonzaga a participant? That is still the unknown. By the way, Gonzaga has only one road game to make up. That's at Santa Clara. I question if that will happen. Will they even play Santa Clara one time? They've missed both games. Uh, We'll see. But they're rolling. And they are clearly the number one overall seed. Mark Few getting his 22nd 20-win season in a row. Puts him third all-time active coaches behind Bill Self. And Mike Krzyzewski, we'll see if Duke can get there. Kind of doubtful at this point. And yeah, the Blue Bloods. Our weekly update. Kentucky has to win the SEC tournament. Certainly doable. I think Carolina will likely squeak in and just barely get in. And then for, you know, Duke, I think they're going to win the ACC tournament. End of story. That's what they got to do. Those are the main blue bloods. Michigan State's going to win the Big Ten tournament at this juncture. So I know it's green, but they're considered a blue blood. So, all right, let's break down the top 16 and also hear from the head coach of a number one seeded team, according to the Men's Basketball Selection Committee here in mid-February, Chris Holtman. Chris, when we talked multiple times in the offseason or preseason, you didn't know what you had. You know, we didn't know how healthy Seth Towns would be. You had just assuming it wasn't 100% transferring from Cal. So I know, I think I know the answer here, that uh, at that point, whether it was October, November, the chances of Ohio State being a number one seed on the first unveiling in the middle of February probably were pretty far-fetched. When you look back on that time early in the preseason, did you think, this was plausible. No, I don't think you ever anticipate that. What I did feel like is that we had some guys returning and EJ and Dwayne and Kyle and CJ and Justin even had been with us for a few years and now Justice and seeing the health of some of these. I thought we had a core returning that probably was getting overlooked a little bit because the Wessons were so impactful for us last year had such an important role on our team, understandably so. 
and then we had a couple transfers. So I think that we had more core probably returning than people thought. But again, that's a wild thought to have in your mind at that point, right? About, uh, you know, where you'd be sitting in February. So EJ Liddell was not preseason first team all Big Ten and stuff that I've been doing for Big Ten Network. Uh, I'm having a hard time not putting him on first team all Big Ten. You can make a debate whether, you know, if it's Kofi or EJ, but I mean, he deserves to be there. How has this happened to this point in the season where he deserves to be a first team all Big Ten player? Well, I think as the conversation stands today, I firmly believe that. Obviously, it depends on how we finish, but I absolutely believe he's earned that. I mean, I believe uh, Dwayne has earned uh, recognition along with some of our other players. It depends on how we finish, right? You know that as well as anybody, Andy. But I I think his summer has been really good. He had a really good offseason back home with some of his coaches, his AU coaches, some guys were working out his high school, went back to his high school gym, and then he came here and really did some good things in the summer here, the, the chance we had. And we knew if his fitness could improve, that would uh, improve his overall motor and that his skill set would really flourish. And I really give Kyle Young some credit as well for allowing EJ to flourish because Kyle is a really good side-by-side complement to EJ, allows EJ to play in a way that helps him uh, utilize his terrific talent. So obviously the road is not the same in any league and the Big Ten consistently has you know, the best crowds, the most loyal fans of any league in the country. How has your team, though, been able to be so successful on the road, which in this COVID era, it's still not easy to go on the road and all the precautions and out of your comfort zone that you have to deal with of traveling as a team to these different locations? Maturity. I think the biggest thing has been our collective maturity led by uh, C.J. Walker and and Kyle Young, uh, two guys that have led with maturity let understanding what's required when you go to a different venue. And that's really what it's been, right? A different location, a different venue. Because playing at home is hard in today's climate because of the expectation that you normally have when you come out at home and receive the kind of juice from the crowd. But I think overall maturity, collective maturity from our group. And um, I also think some momentum maybe from from last year, how we, you know, we had a couple road wins, but just our momentum in February and March, I think has helped us this year. So how have your guys been able to stay safe? I mean, you have not been bitten, you know, so far to where you've had any kind of extended pause. Well, I think it's been important to them, Andy, that we play games, that we get games in as as silly as that sounds, or as maybe as simple as that sounds. I think, you know, when we talk to them and you and I know this, you know, we talked about Hey, not being able to go home for Christmas because you're going to play the Big Ten games and even the start of the season. This has really been player-driven. I've tried to echo that to everybody who's asked me. This is not the coaches pushing to play. This is our players wanting to play. So it's been really important to them. They've made sacrifices. They've mitigated as much risk, I think, as you can mitigate in most circumstances. And we'll see. Hopefully we'll get fortunate for the remainder of the season. There are no guarantees, as we all know, with this virus. Yeah, I'm just curious. I've asked all these coaches this. I mean, the daily testing every day. I mean, is that oh, an exhale every day? Okay, oh, now we can practice. Now we can travel. Now we can play the game. Is that literally a daily, almost pulse check of just, you know, we're okay today? I think it was early on. I think now it's almost like the expectation that 
I'm not going to get a call from our trainer. Early on, I think it was, you're kind of like, you know, tapping your foot on the regular, wondering, nervous, anxious about a call. And we did get some calls. We had four false positives, I think, maybe, uh, that had to get PCR tested. So I think not as much nervous anymore. And I think now at this point, you're just kind of like, okay, if we do, we're going to have to roll with the punches. We're going to figure it out. All right. So in the final stretch run, especially looking ahead to this weekend, uh, you're playing a Michigan team that came off a 23-day pause, down 14, and then beats Wisconsin and Madison. And the second half, they looked like they did prior, uh, especially Hunter Dickinson. He had 15 boards. Michael Potter and Nate Reavers had zero. Uh, and they were making big shots. Livers had 20 again. So you've got this showdown looming at the end of this week. How do you beat them? Well, listen, I'll be a coach for a minute. We have a big week because we have Penn State on Thursday, who we know is top 35 in the net and very good and uh, really had us down eight with, I think, seven minutes to go here about a few weeks ago. That's a major challenge for us. And a big game for them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it is. It's it's a big game for them. And that's kind of what happens right now with all of us who are positioned where we are. We become obviously a very big game for the opponent, but they're really a good team and well-coached and uh, can really score. So that's our challenge. And then after that, obviously, you have a Michigan team that I think it's obvious to everybody they can compete for a national championship, Andy. Uh, They're a phenomenal group. So we have two great challenges and obviously two really good teams. And as I mentioned with that Michigan team, Juwan has done a great job and they're just, they're very, very good. They're a legitimate uh, contender for it all. And certainly will be a Kyle Young, EJ Liddell. They're all going to have to obviously play large in that game to keep Hunter off either backboard. So lastly, Chris, you've been around championship type teams. Big picture here. What is it about this group a month from now that could compete for a national championship? I think at the end of the day, we've got to keep improving, as every coach would say this time of year. We've got to keep finding ways where we can communicate to our players, hey, we have to make incremental growth in these areas. For that right now, that's that's defensively for us. we got to continue to improve, uh, Andy, on that end. Uh, we've got to continue to be more sound in what we do. But I think at the end of the day for us, what has made this group special, and I would call it special, has been their connectedness. We have really good players that have played to their strengths, talented guys, and we have everybody through this point pulling in the same direction. And that's a powerful thing. And, and if that continues – that I'm excited about where our future's heading. Chris, I appreciate it. Stay safe. You too, Andy. Great being with you. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. And now it's time for Katz Ranks for the week ending on February 14th, looking ahead to the week starting on February 15th. And what I want to do here is play off of the top 16 that was unveiled by the selection committee on Saturday of this past weekend and look at the top 10 teams that have a chance to crack the top 16 in the next three weeks. Some of these are a reach because they all can't get in there, of course, and someone has to drop out of that top 16. But let's let's try for the sake of an exercise here. At number 10, Oklahoma State. Plenty of opportunities in the Big 12. If they were to go on a run, they potentially could get to that four line. At number nine, Rutgers. Again, In the Big Ten, there are opportunities for a team like Rutgers to go on a deep run in the next three weeks 
and potentially crack a four line. Number eight, UCLA, probably a taller mountain to climb. They'd have to beat USC, probably win out, and maybe win the Pac-12 tournament with another win over USC, and then they would knock USC from that perch. I'll get to the Trojans shortly. At number seven, Virginia Tech. The Hokies, once again, would really have to challenge Virginia near the top of the ACC title uh, over the next couple of weeks, and certainly in the ACC tournament. What if they won the ACC tournament? Then the Hokies could be in consideration. Purdue, back to another team in the Big Ten that I think has opportunities to make a deep run over the next three and a half weeks and maybe climb that high. Wisconsin, disappointing home loss because they had a 14-point lead against Michigan on Sunday, but still the Badgers, they play Iowa later this week. So they still have a chance to potentially do something like that if they were to win some of these big-time games. Number four, Kansas. We haven't talked about the Jayhawks in quite some time. Won three in a row, and yet again, they will have opportunities. They have a game still to come against Baylor. So what if the Jayhawks were to suddenly get hot, win out, win the Big 12 tournament? Number three, Creighton. Blue Jays knocked off Villanova. What if Creighton found a way to win the Big East? Won the Big East tournament. Just a couple games back, still doable. And number two, Florida State. Seminoles got a pretty big scare against Wake Forest coming off of their pause. But what if they were to outlast Virginia somehow, win the ACC, and suddenly they're in position, certainly, to be on that four line. But at number one, team that I actually initially had in the top 16, I thought the committee might go there, was USC. Trojans right now are top the Pac-12, already beaten UCLA once. What if they get the sweep of the Bruins? What if they win out and win the Pac-12 tournament? I think it'd be very difficult to keep USC off of at least that four line when the bracket comes out on Selection Sunday. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, two of my favorite, and I wouldn't say the only bracketologist, but uh, Joe Lenardi from ESPN, who has literally written the book on this, and Kevin Palgum, who is an assistant associate athletic director at Michigan State, and KP, for those that are not as familiar as your metric, what is the correct term that people should get used to? So I've got the KPI that I developed, which is more quantifying the quality of a given resume. There's kind of two buckets of metrics here. There's KPI, there's ESPN strength of record. There's a few others on the results-based side, which is more how good is your resume. Whereas the Ken Palms, the Sagarins, ESPN's BPI metric, those are more how good is your team. And oftentimes those metrics overlap, but when they don't overlap, What it tends to do is it offers a narrative and an explanation around kind of maybe why a team is higher in one metric than another and provides that context when the committee is evaluating teams. So before we dive into the top 16, because you opened that window on metrics, I just want to throw this one at you because the net, you know, clearly is what is being used as an organizational tool. But, you know, there's an interesting couple of scenarios here. And one is in the Big Ten and Penn State. Now, prior to their loss against Nebraska, they were 31 in the net, two games under 500. So Joe and KP, and you guys can want to ping pong here a little bit. How do you square in this unprecedented year a team like a Penn State? And I know now they're three games under, but going into a game like that where they're numbers wise, a tournament team, but still sub 500. How do you square that, Joe? Well, this may be an oversimplification. And in fairness, Kevin is a metrics 
developer. I'm a metrics aggregator. So, you know, you're talking about a guy who never got past Algebra 2. Now, having said that, I think for the casual fan to understand it, Penn State doesn't have enough at-bats, right? Like we're looking at a May batting average and not an August batting average. So like there's a lot of weak hitting shortstops that are still hitting 400 on Memorial Day that are going to be hitting 220 on Labor Day when they have more games. And, you know, in a way, Penn State can only go down and certainly, you know, play Nebraska enough times and lose and they will go down. Uh, They're not 31 this morning. And, you know, there are other extreme examples. What Last time I looked, Colgate was 11th or 12th. But, you know, they didn't start playing until January. And they're only playing other Patriot League teams. So I fundamentally have always believed that the committee's primary task is to identify and work around outliers. It doesn't matter what the system is. There are always going to be outliers. We could be going by uniform color, right? And somebody's going to be bluer than blue and should be adjusted accordingly. And, you know, okay, well, Penn State, somebody's going to say, but they're not good enough. Yeah, and I think that Joe brings up a good point about identifying and minimizing outliers. And that's part of the advantage as to why there are multiple metrics on those committee sheets is because in the past, when you only had one metric on the sheet in the old RPI days, what if the RPI was the outlier, but you didn't necessarily know that in the moment. So now being able to have multiple bits of information to be able to contextualize what you're seeing is a good thing. Joe also hit on Colgate in particular. In this COVID year, the outliers that we're seeing are related to sample size, but it's teams that have played fewer games than most or played against a few teams that have also played fewer games than most. So the Patriot League in particular, just because they didn't play much relative to non-conference, the Patriot League was always going to be an outlier if there were extreme results in the conference. If the conference had some level of parity, they were all going to be bunched in the middle. But if the conference kind of expanded out like an accordion, we were going to have this situation. So for the most part, I think that the metrics have performed well considering how disparate the sample sizes are, but there's still going to be a few in this COVID year. Obviously great points. And I wanted to make sure that we address that. All right. So let's dive into the 16. People have already seen it. Now this is up to Saturday, although I'd be curious if what they were going to do had Illinois lost that Friday night game to Nebraska. They, they escaped that one because I know they had finished it, you know, Friday night you know, because, of you know, all that kind of thing. So it would have been interesting to see what they would have done. Anyway, one seeds, Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, Ohio State. I think we all can agree, whether you have the right order or not, that those were going to be the four ones at this moment in time. Joe? Agreed. The only wrinkle for me was, you know, were they somehow going to be more about quantity than quality? Because that could have hurt Michigan a little bit. You know, if you're just counting up wins against the field or wins against quad one or quad one plus whatever your favorite flavor is, you know, Michigan could have been dinged for that. They shouldn't have been. But, you know, there are a lot of shouldn'ts uh, that turn out to be actual and they weren't. And, you know, after Ohio State spanked Indiana on Saturday and. Michigan hadn't yet played and won at Wisconsin on Sunday, you know, you could have made an argument to flip Ohio State and Michigan, I think, uh, and been credible on either side of the argument. 
but now it's pretty clear one through four what we're looking at. And next Sunday they're going to play, and then we'll have a whole new set of data points to haggle about. All right, so I'm actually going to spin this, KP. Let's keep going down the line. So the twos, Illinois, Villanova, Alabama, Houston. First question to you, which one of those four has the best chance to move up to the one line? I think that the easy answer is Illinois because they play Michigan and Ohio State. And and, and the great thing— Well, we hope they're going to play Michigan. Touche, <laughs> touche. Um, there's uh, there's still a game sitting there in the in the back pocket that is unscheduled, but there are games to be had that could produce a single round robin of Illinois, Michigan, and Ohio State should things be able to play out. So, to some extent, this is going to work itself out between the one line and the two line as uh, as well because of some of those head to head matchups. Gonzaga and Baylor don't have as many head to heads among that group, but those two in particular have really separated themselves on the predictive side for sure. Joe, to you. If it's not Illinois, anyone else? Yeah, I think until late Saturday afternoon, we probably would have argued Villanova in part because, like it or not, like we're pretty used to Villanova being a huge brand that gets a lot of people's attention. Now, Kevin would be the first to say, and I would second, that name recognition and brand is nowhere to be found on the team sheets, but these are human beings that know Villanova's recent history Right. And, you know, they were the best in the Big East till somebody beat them. Now Creighton's beaten them and beaten them solidly. I would actually say that Villanova now is closer to a three than a one. Uh, and I would make them a three and I would move Virginia up. But I'm pretty sure that I don't have a vote. So, you know, next in line would be, you know, if Alabama runs the table as the outright regular season and postseason tournament champion, they're going to have a lot of high quality wins. And that would require the Illinois kind of big 10 three for two scenario for somebody to get dinged, you know, disproportionately in the games against one another. If they stay relatively even and they split all their games against one another, then we're going to see two big 10 teams on the top line. And given the quality of play over the breadth of the season, I don't think any reasonable person could argue with that. All right. So before we go to the threes, KP to you, the other question mark that we don't know is about Baylor. You know, Joe mentioned Michigan. We didn't know how they'd come back. They were really only their post pause hangover for like 20 minutes and they were down 14 and flipped the switch. And now they were back to be in Michigan. Baylor's got a lot of games to make up, including two against West Virginia. What happens if Baylor were to lose three games when they come back? Cause they don't come back for another week, and they're only going to have two and a half weeks jamming all those games in. What's that scenario like? So one thing that metrics can't measure is the effect of long layoffs. And there certainly have been anecdotal examples where teams have struggled sometimes significantly coming out of those breaks. And as you pointed out with Michigan, they beat Wisconsin on Sunday. That's a high quality win. And even though they got behind early, that, uh, that second half was about as strong as a team has played in Madison in a while. I think that we all entered this season knowing that we were going to be comparing one team that had 18 games to another team that had 26 games. And and in some ways, we've been doing this for years. It's just instead of it being the number of games that was uh, really different, it was the types of schedules that were different. So we had the same total, but we had very different data sets. So the committee's been doing that for a long period of time. And this is where the art of that comes into play. 
But at the end of the day, I think that the committee was relatively clear and it made sense to coaches and administrators around the country that they can only evaluate based on the data that they have. And uh, I'm not sure that anybody should be rewarded or penalized for games that weren't able to take place. No, I agree with you. I'm just curious, Joe, if they were to take on water, you know, would that be what could knock them off the first line? They would have to take on a good bit of water because two things really have to happen for them to move off the top line. They have to drop and then someone has to pass them, right? Both things need to happen simultaneously. And, uh, you know, there was a point as Baylor was heading into this latest pause where they were closer to Gonzaga than they were to falling out, at least in my view. Now, you know, because Gonzaga seems to win by 40 just by turning on the lights, and there isn't a metric system in the world that doesn't like winning by 40, okay? Again, I'm not the developer of the system, but 100 to 61 is generally going to give you an up arrow, okay? And what was yesterday? I don't follow racing. The Daytona, right? Baylor's in pit row, and Gonzaga is still flying around the track at 100 miles an hour. And that's why Gonzaga has built its cushion again. And, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, that winner could catch Baylor if the Bears either, A, don't get back soon or start adding more quality wins when they get there. But to fall to fifth, yeah, I'm not seeing that. I'm taking the Bears in the overall. Yeah, I think they'd have to completely fall apart, which I don't see. Let me add this too, Andy, that, uh, that, that remember Baylor's got that head-to-head win over Illinois too. Yes. All right. Threes, Virginia, West Virginia, Tennessee, and Oklahoma. Hold on, Andy. Andy talks like a committee person (laughs) because fundamentally that's what his DNA is. (laughs) And I talk like a critic because that's fundamentally my DNA, which is why he's going to be on the committee someday and we're not. I, I like playing, I like playing Switzerland. I, I just sit here in the middle. So of that group of three seeds, the four of them, in a normal year, and I don't just mean a non-pandemic year, I would say Virginia would have the best chance of moving up, up, up. But the ACC is at its probably lowest point we've seen in a long time. And outside of, as we're taping, they're playing Florida State Monday night. Duke Carolina are not the same. I just don't see enough quality wins to our point, for Virginia to really climb that high. Could they get to the two-line? Yes. I don't see them getting to a one. West Virginia, maybe climbing up a rank. Tennessee, I don't see it. Oklahoma is the team I'm curious of for both of you, how high they could still get with their overall ranked wins, the way they're playing, and the league they're in. Joe, then KP. Well, I suppose if they run the table – which if, if you run the table at this point in the Big Ten or the Big 12, including the conference tournament, we should have a parade. Because it's just like, think about what that would entail in the regular season alone and then throw in winning three or four huge games in a row in the conference tournament. That is really a heavy lift. I think realistically, OU can be a two. You know, again, in the complete optimistic scenario, I suppose things could fall a certain way and become a one. I don't know about Kevin. I was a little surprised they were a three in the reveal. To me, that was the only real thing. I don't want to say I raised an eyebrow, but I winked a bit. But looking at their head-to-head wins within the Big 12 against other teams in contention for that spot, it was completely defensible. 
Yeah, and, and I think piggybacking on that, so Oklahoma's got their win against Alabama. But the other dust that still kind of needs to settle is that we're we're still getting more and more data relative to what it means to win on the road this particular year. Mm-hmm. I think that we all entered the season understanding that that, that was going to be slightly different. Early returns on the data, now that we're in conference play, where the data year over year is a little bit more apples to apples, is that it's still more difficult to win on the road than it is at home, but it's about half as difficult as it normally is in terms of a differential. That's getting mathy, but uh, so it's still there. But the win percentage among home teams and some of the major conferences is about 56, 57%. And that number is usually in the low 60s. So that's another bit of information that as we get closer and as the metrics kind of market correct for some of that, that that's going to factor in as well. Because a road win at a top 10 team this year is a little bit closer to a neutral site win than maybe in past seasons. All right. Last two things. The fours, Iowa, Texas Tech, Texas, Missouri. Uh, Joe, you take this one. To me, see if you agree, of those four, Iowa probably has the best chance to raise up a seed line from the group of four. Your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with that. And who was it that I guess Tennessee was kind of in the middle of the three line and they've since lost. You could argue that Iowa's already moved up. I actually think of the top teams in the Big Ten, Iowa has the weakest resume. And again, we're comparing very good among great. I'm not knocking Iowa. I don't want to get a call from, you know, the governor of Iowa like happened about 20 years ago. But yes, they could certainly move up. From a basketball standpoint, I don't think they're going to. Uh, But resume-wise, you can certainly see a path. All right, Kippy, give me one team that we didn't see in the top 16 that could get to a four or even a three if they were to win out or maybe only have one loss the rest of the way. So I'll give you a sneaky team in in USC. That's what I was was waiting for you to say that. And that... uh, they're leading the Pac-12. They've been really good out West. And uh, the Pac-12 has had as much to deal with relative to the pandemic as maybe any other conference with restrictions out West and whatnot. But to me, if they continue to emerge, that's certainly a team to keep an eye on. And last word from you, Joe, true S-curve can't happen because of the multiple bids from so many leagues on the top four lines. To dumb it down to people, when they see Ohio State a four, Illinois a five, and Iowa, you know, at 13 in this top 16, they couldn't all be in one group of four, Mm -hmm. you know, one, two, three, four. What do you think is the best way for that to be explained to the general public when they think, well, wait a minute, this isn't a true S curve, one versus four, you know, because of the conference affiliation? The top four teams from each league have to be in different regions, period. And then you S curve after that. And you get as close as you can to the true numbers. Boom, there you go. Simplify. Well, you wanted it dumb, and I you know, asked the right great. guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I totally awesome. agree with Southern Cal, by the way, with KP. Uh, I already would put him in my top four lines. Yes. All right, Joe, KP, appreciate it. I know we've got a lot of work to do over the next three and a half weeks, but the fact that we're getting closer and closer to a selection Sunday, crossing that threshold and actually having a bracket will make us all feel better. Totally agree. Amen. Now it's time for March Chadness here on March Madness 365. And um, Chad, I don't think I was wrong to pick against Michigan because they were on a 23-day pause that they were resuming from. They were down 14. And then the Michigan that we saw for the first couple months of the season reemerged. 
dominated the Badgers and won on Sunday. So that was the game that I was looking at the most of, okay, could I have gone a different way? And I still think a week ago, I probably would have made the same pick. Yeah, Andy, that's been pretty consistent for you while we've been making these picks. When a team's been on pause, and you've kind of leaned against those teams, and that kind of did push you under 500 for the week. You went 3-5, and five, and that was a tough game. I thought the Badgers were going to pull it out, but Michigan came storming back. But other than that, Andy, like on the bright side, you did correctly nail the Loyola-Chicago-Drake games, both of them, uh, Saturday and Sunday. You predict the split and the order. So I'll give you props for that, though. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I did think that Loyola was coming in with a ton of momentum. Now, we didn't know Shaquan Hemphill was going to get hurt. Did not know that. But I still felt like that Loyola had more coming into the series. Because remember, Drake had lost that game to Valpo the previous week. And so what we've seen in these two-game deals is a lot of times it's the second day for the home team. Sort of reset, maybe got popped. You're at home that other teams got to deal with travel or, or, I mean, lack of sort of any routine uh, play right away the next day. Uh, and I think it can benefit the home team on round two. And so that I was playing my odds in that way. It uh, worked out for you there. But let's see if we can rebound back here, Andy. Uh, I think this is what only the second week of a sub 500 performance for you. You've been killing it all year. So let's try to get back on track. And let's start with number 12, Texas, at number nine, Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma, they've won seven out of eight, including a one point win over Texas in round one of this rivalry. However, Texas was without Jericho Sims and Courtney Ramey in that first matchup. But Texas, they rebounded with a couple of wins of their own. Those were against two of the, you know, probably three worst teams in the Big 12, though. Do you like a split or do you think Oklahoma gets the sweep? I think Oklahoma gets a sweep. I really like the way the Sooners are playing right now. Reeves is back. He's scoring. So I think Oklahoma actually is a dark horse team that we're going to start talking about in the next couple of weeks, depending on the brackets, uh, that could make a deep run to the Final Four. Yeah, they're getting hot at the right time. They're back at number nine in the polls. So we'll see how they keep doing the rest of the season. Now let's look at Thursday. You've got number six, Houston, at Wichita State. And the Shockers, they've put together a decent little season here. You know, despite all the drama with Greg Marshall in the offseason, both these teams tied in the loss column in the American with only two. Who do you like to win? Ooh, this is a tough one. I don't know. I, I feel like I want to pick an upset here, Chad. Should I? Hey, I mean, why not? It's at Wichita State. I feel like that helps you out there, the home court advantage. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they've flown way under the radar, and they are due for a game like this. I think this could muddy up some things, and this was a team prior to the Greg Marshall removal that uh, he thought, I remember talking you know, in the offseason a year, long time ago, that the pieces were going to be there even after they had a huge roster turnover. And so why not? Let's go with Wichita State in the upset. All right. And, you know, one of Houston's losses was at ECU. ECU's two and eight in the league. So I think uh, Houston could certainly be suspect on the road here. Um, so, yeah, why not? Why not the upset? Wichita State uh, gets the W. Another game that night, you got number 11, Iowa, at number 21, Wisconsin. We just kind of touched on on the Badgers, and they've kind of been on like an up-and-down stretch. I think they've kind of alternated wins and losses uh, over their last eight games, which would mean they're due for a win here after that Michigan game. But Iowa, you know, they're coming off a double-digit win over Rutgers and then that 30-point route at Michigan State on the road. Who do you like to win? Well, look, I mean, Iowa's the better team. 
Can Wisconsin win this game? Yes. Are their backs a little bit against the wall? Yes. Have they done a good job of rebounding off of a loss for the most part? Yes. But I don't think they match up well against Iowa. You know, I just rattled off that Hunter Dickinson had 15 boards against Wisconsin on Sunday, and Nate Reavers and Micah Potter had zero. That's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, that that can't happen against Luca Garza or throwing Jack Nungy. I mean, they cannot do that and win this game. And Joe Wieskamp is hot at the right time. So let's light a little fire under the badges because I'm going to pick Iowa because right now they're playing better. It's a bad matchup for Wisconsin. And I think Iowa has to play poorly for Wisconsin to win this game. Yeah, that stat about the rebounding is just kind of mind-blowing. you got a couple of veterans there just getting out-rebounded by a freshman, a talented freshman. But <laughs> Luca Garza, National Player of the Year senior, uh, should certainly be able to put it on him there too. Now let's take a look at Saturday. Uh, number 18, Virginia Tech at number 16, Florida State. Pretty massive game in the ACC. You've got two of the top three teams. But Virginia Tech, they have not played their last three games. They're all postponed. Andy, you tend to shy away from these teams that are coming off a pause. But who do you like to win here? Yeah, and I almost never pick against Leonard Hamilton. I've learned my lesson on that. So I'm going with Florida State. Once again, ultimately, I think they are the better team. And late in the season, that's where I'm leaning. All right, Knowles get the W at home. Now let's look at number 15, Texas Tech, at number 23, Kansas. Uh, Jayhawks, they had that record streak of being ranked in the AP poll snapped, and they responded with a sweep of Iowa State. Texas Tech, in their first matchup, lost by one to Kansas. Who wins the rematch? I think Kansas. It's crazy to say this. They've been flying under the radar the last couple of weeks, three in a row, including a win over Oklahoma State. Uh, You know, I think anyone would be foolish to dismiss Kansas from, you know, the decent seed race, I'd like to say, of being somewhere between, you know, a four to a six. They are actually a team that I would not be shocked. They weren't in the top 16, Chad. But if they keep this going in the next three weeks because of who they will play, they could definitely be, I think, on that four line when all things are settled, you know, on Selection Sunday. Yeah, that'd be fun to watch heading into conference tournaments. Now let's look at number 13, West Virginia, at number 12, Texas. Another Big 12 matchup. We kind of touched on these teams, but they're still battling for second in the Big 12. You know, after Baylor, there's just a handful of teams that could still, you know, get that two-line in the Big 12. Who do you like to win? Well, I'm going to go Texas here. I don't think Texas will have an 0 for week. You know, it's just, as we've said, I mean, you saw in person a Clemson team that was brutal their first couple games out of pause. Texas was not good out of pause. They're starting to finally play a little bit better again. Uh, Now Clemson is, as an example. Right. Uh, It took them a couple of weeks. Some teams like Michigan are just ready to go. So you really don't know how teams are going to react when they come out of it. Uh, And and I think Texas is now turning the corner with the way they're playing now uh, post-pause. So I'm going Texas. All right. Texas gets the W. Now, Sunday, this is the matchup of the week, no doubt. Could be one of the matchups of the season. Number three, Michigan at number four, Ohio State. Uh, Two teams that could be on the one line come tournament time. Ohio State, you know, they've won nine out of ten. Michigan, we've already talked about them. They came off that pause to hand uh, Wisconsin that loss. Who do you like to win this big matchup? Well, it's funny. Both fan bases think I pick against them a lot. But I I don't know. It's hard for me to pick against Michigan back-to-back Sundays. As good as the Ohio State has been playing, you know, EJ Liddell and Zed Key and Kyle Young, they have the bodies and I think are better prepared to go against Hunter Dickinson, Austin Davis inside. But I just like the combination of Mike Smith at the point. Isaiah Livers had 
uh, as we're taping, I think, three straight 20-point games spread out over, obviously, a month. Franz Wagner had a huge bucket at the end of that Wisconsin game. And uh, Michigan has been, you know, home, road, doesn't matter. You know, look, this could go either way, obviously. But I, I, I'm not going to pick against Michigan two weeks in a row. Yeah, I don't blame you for picking against Michigan. Uh, they've definitely burned you a couple times this season when you've done it. But uh, I did get the at Minnesota loss. I did yeah, get that one. You did. <laughs> you did, but Wisconsin did, definitely has not helped you there. No, we'll see how they do. I kind of like the home team to get the win. I, I think Ohio State maybe puts a puts a statement out there that they're here to play too. So, but Andy, we'll revisit all these picks next week and see if you can get back above 500 for the week. All right. Obviously, we've got a couple weeks left. And I think overall, I'm pretty happy with uh, the trend lines of the picks. Yeah, no, you've had a killer season. I think you're up to, what, 60 wins now? So doing really well. Appreciate Chad. Thank you. All right, Andy. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. As always, a big shout out to our Turner Sports team, Chad Aycock, Abby Stoltz, Sean Bartley, Michael Kaplan, and the entire NCAA.com team that repurposes this podcast, puts it in much more digestible forms across all our platforms. So I thank you all for doing that every week. As always, stay safe, and we'll talk again next week. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.